Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. This episode, Imagine the Assassination of Beatle John Lennon. This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. Good evening. The death of a man who sang and played the guitar overshadows the news from Poland around in Washington tonight. Former Beatle John Lennon, who was 40, was shot and killed last night outside his luxury apartment in New York. The alleged killer is an unemployed security guard and printer who had lived in Hawaii. News of Lennon's death touched off a wave of shock and mourning around the world. Steve Young reports. There was no emotion in my blood. There was no anger. There was nothing. It was dead silence in my brain. Dead, cold, quiet, until he walked up. He looked at me. I'm telling you, the man, the man was going to be dead in less than five minutes. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he walked past me. And then I heard in my head, it said, do it, do it, do it, over and over again. Those are the words of Mark David Chapman, who on December 9th, 1980, in New York City, assassinated Beatle John Lennon. That quote can be found on the jacket of the book Let Me Take You Down, Inside the Mind of Mark David Chapman, The Man Who Killed John Lennon, by author Jack Jones. Mr. Jones conducted over 200 hours of interviews with Mr. Chapman in Attica Prison about six years after the murder. It was my distinct pleasure to have spoken to Mr. Jones via Skype for this podcast. The intersection of John Lennon and Mark David Chapman's lives is not as odd as some people might think. In his prologue to his book, Mr. Jones says, Like John Lennon, Mark David Chapman was a child of his times, who sought himself in drugs, music, art, poetry, religion, and literature. He, like Lennon, married an Asian woman about five years older than himself. He used to play guitar. The instrument with which Lennon defined himself and captured the attention of the world. After all other instruments eluded his grasp, Chapman defined himself and got the world's attention with a gun. He fixated on John Lennon from a quite early age after uh, getting involved with 
with drugs at an entirely too early age and, you know, finding God while he was taking acid and becoming an extremist evangelical Christian almost overnight, uh, returning to school where he had been known the previous year as this kind of dirty, you know, drug-taking, hippie kind of guy to, you know, all dressed up and handing out religious pamphlets and uh, preaching the praises of this one evangelical Presbyterian sect in Georgia where he was born and raised. Uh, Religion fueled what happened here to an extent that should not be underestimated the way that religion is fueling right now in our country a great division and this hatred-like thing which seemed to ensnare Nazi Germany back in the 1930s. Chapman was a microcosm of what religion can do in terms of mass hysteria. When John Lennon uh, wrote the song Imagine There's No Heaven and made statements that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus that were taken out of context. There was a mass hysteria that erupted among the evangelicals in the southern states at that time. If you go online, you'll see YouTube videos of these imbecile ministers uh, burning Beatle records and uh, basically launching a crusade against everything to do with with Beatles and and, uh, John Lennon in particular. Chapman picked up on that. Uh, His friends remember him picking up his guitar, which he actually can play quite well, and has a a pretty good singing voice, uh, and singing Imagine, changing the lyrics to Imagine John Lennon is Dead. came out of this series of depressions and then slipped back into another one while he was in Honolulu after marrying a Japanese girl, as John Lennon had done, we all know, uh, decided that he was going to follow through on, on a plan which had been unfolding in the back of his mind for a good 10 years and uh, traveled to New York City, not once, but twice, uh, until he was able to get John Lennon as a target standing before him and carry out an act that literally shocked the conscience of, of the entire world. Chapman's first attempt uh, to assassinate John Lennon was not a success. He had to go back a second time. But each time he did come to New York, he would hang around the Dakota and hopefully wait to find John Lennon alone to carry out his plan. He made friends with the doorman over time because he would come for a couple of days at a time and other fans who were standing out in front of the apartment building, again, hoping as he to get an autograph. And so he, they knew him. They 
actually became quite aware of this interesting young man. Chapman Blendwell, it wasn't just them, but uh, he dressed himself. He bought a copy of the Double Fantasy album and, and did everything he could to to blend in with 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 John Lennon's quote true fans unquote uh, while waiting for an opportunity to find himself in front of John with the gun in his pocket um, it was kind of a tangled way situation the way it all worked out the first time him claiming that he had uh, he went to see a movie and it was a a movie about a suicide and the impact on a family and claimed that that had given him a victory over this great evil. So he went back home, told his wife what he had been planning, which he had no idea of, uh, told her, lied to her and told her he had thrown away the gun, that uh, her love had given him a great victory over this great evil. And after a few months back there and still finding himself sort of a, a failure with not a lot of hope of achieving any sort of fame or fortune without exploiting the resources that he was bleeding from his wife's parents at that time. Biggest things was wanting to be known before he died or having done something in life that got his name into history books. It didn't matter, famous or infamous. And after he realized that uh, he didn't have any great talents that were going to launch him into the public eye and didn't, his family wasn't terribly wealthy, uh, that his only hope for getting into the history books was doing something horrible that you know, maybe hadn't been done before. And even though he did have a, a list of other famous celebrities that he talked about killing, including David Bowie, who could have, whom he saw and could have killed on his first trip to New York City. Uh, I, you know, John Lennon was the only human on the planet that that Mark Chapman really posed a threat to because his close identification with the Beatles during his childhood that continued through his sort of drug era when the Beatles' magical mystery tour album uh, influenced him to try drugs for the first time. And then going back to John Lennon, his childhood hero suddenly becoming the Antichrist when he wrote a song, Imagine There's No Heaven, and making the statement that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. It was also no secret that one of the big influences in Mark David Chapman's life was the novel Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, which most of us had to read in high school lit class. But this book became almost his Bible, He had copies within reach wherever he was, and when he'd lose one, he'd run to a bookstore frantically uh, to make sure he had a copy with him at all times. He absolutely identified with the main character in the book, Holden Caulfield. 
Uh, it, it has an entirely different impact, you know, on the adult mind than it does on a still forming teenage mind. This this whole battle against adult phoniness, and there's incredible phoniness in our world, and you know, children see that, you know, the the kind of emperor ain't got nothing on syndrome. Uh, Holden Caulfield epitomized that, and in Mark's still quite infantile mind, although he was 24, 25 years old at that time, uh, very much, you know, emotionally arrested development, he began to fancy himself the real-life Holden Caulfield, who was going to strike a blow against adult phoniness by killing John Lennon, who, of course, wrote and sang songs about this world of equality and freedom and sharing, and yet who lived among the adult tyrants, the, the powerful rich who looked down on all of the little people like him, which he had become. And, uh, and that was part of his twisted logic and actually buying the gun and going on the mission to strike a blow against adult phony world by killing John Lennon. To be blunt, not only was Mark David Chapman a murderer, but at heart, he was a coward. When John Lennon came out and caught him unaware, even though he had his hand in his coat pocket on the gun, uh, this figure he had come to know only in his mind through as a media cardboard character on an album cover was a real-life human being with a little boy, his five-year-old son, Sean, at that time, holding his hand. And, I mean, Chapman leaned down and shook hand with this, shook hands with this little child. Uh, at that point, he became, uh, he reverted to his Captain Nemo persona, which is one, I, there was a time when children loved him when he was a counselor at a YMCA camp. You might recall that from yep, my book, too. And, you know, here was a lovely little person in front of him. And and John Lennon signing his album and people all around. And he would have, you know, he would have had to face the man and look him in the eye at that time while he was killing him, which he couldn't do. In the end, he had to wait until John came back. And I am sure that at that point, I'm sure in my own mind, if rather than just walk by him, I mean, John and Yoko had had a hard day. And I think Yoko can be kind of a, a different, you know, not so friendly person like John was anyway. Um, if they had not walked by Chapman on that dark night, if John had come up and said, hey, you're the guy who signed the album for how you doing, you know, come in and have a cup of tea or something. I think John would be alive to this day. But of course, it didn't happen quite that way. 
when Mark David Chapman came back in the dark of the night, hopefully to get a chance to be with John Lennon alone. He was again waiting outside the Dakota when John and Yoko's limousine pulled up. He was having a battle in his brain between the adult and the child. Reading from Mr. Jones' book, the adult began to pray. The child began to scream. The adult said no. The child screamed louder. The adult began to panic, and then he disappeared. There was just the child with his hand on the gun and dead silence in my brain. The back door of the limousine opened and Yoko got out first. The child nodded to her. He smiled at her, but she didn't smile back and the child didn't say anything. She just kept walking up the driveway under the archway towards the steps. Then John Lennon got out of the limousine. He had something in his hands, some cassette tapes. The child looked at his hero and his hero his broken toy looked back at him. It was a hard look. The child was sure his hero recognized him from earlier in the day when he signed the album. Neither one smiled. No one said a word. There was dead silence in my brain, and John Lennon walked past me. He started walking faster as he went under the archway. Yoko was a little ahead of him, but he was there, by himself. His back was to the child, and the voice said, Do it, do it, do it, do it. I aimed at his back. I pulled the trigger five times, and all hell broke loose in my mind. It was like everything had been stripped away then. It wasn't a make-believe world anymore. The movie strip broke. The explosions were deafening. After the first shot, Yoko crouched down and ran across the corner into the courtyard. Then the gun was empty, and John Lennon had disappeared. There was just the smell of gunpowder, a heavy, sickening smell. I saw Yoko come out of the courtyard and run up the steps through the door. Inside the Dakota, behind the door, some people were yelling. Somebody screamed. The child had left, and the fake adult was standing there with the gun in his hand. He couldn't move. The child shot and killed a music legend. Then the child vanished, and the shallow hulk of the phony adult was left there to pay the price. The doorman, Jose, was standing in front of me with tears in his eyes. Do you know what you have done? Jose was saying. Do you know what you have done? Get away from here, man. Just get out of here. But where would I go, I said. But where would I go? Jose shook the gun out of my hand and kicked it across the driveway toward the courtyard. Someone came up the elevator at the corner of the archway, and Jose told him to take the gun away. I took the catcher and the rye out of my pocket. Then I took off my hat and coat and threw them down on the ground. I knew the police would come soon, and I wanted them to see I wasn't hiding a gun inside my coat. I was anxious. I wanted the police to hurry up and come. I was pacing and holding the book. 
I tried to read, but the words were crawling all over the pages. Nothing made any sense. I just wanted the police to come and take me away from there. He was, uh, you know, this this thing he had planned and thought about every way, you know, a person might might go about plotting anything that that they want to consider every detail. You know, he had examined this in every possible light in his small, dark mind. And uh, that included instructions for his wife. Uh, who had no idea when he went back to New York that that he was going to do this, who who believe, had believed him when he told her that he had thrown away the gun that he had bought to go there the first time to kill Leonard. Uh, I mean, you know, in, in, including the clothing he wore, he even bought the super comfortable waffle-soled shoes that he could wear because he knew that as a stalker, he could be standing outside for hours, and he knew the time of year, the weather. He needed to be warm. He needed to be comfortable. Chapman indeed did not run, did not hide. He finally had accomplished his goal. He had become somebody. The last thing he wanted was to was to get a get away and and not be known. I mean, he had no intention of, of being this anonymous assassin and murdering John Lennon and, and uh, you know, sitting back somewhere alone for years later in Chuckling, they'll never found out, you know, find out that, that I did this. Uh, Son of Sam was much, much the same in that regard. He ultimately wanted to be caught, wanted to become... Uh, known for for this fear and terror he had created that gripped all of New York City. When the police finally did arrive to rescue Mark David Chapman, they were indeed very deferential. They did not harm him in any way. They put him in the back seat of a police car very carefully while other officers loaded the bloody corpse of John Lennon into the back seat of another car. Mark was looking around from his vantage point, and suddenly the face of Yoko Ono appeared outside the patrol car, several feet away from him. Chapman tried to slide down into the cramped seat, but found himself unable to avert his eyes from the gaze of the woman he had just made a widow. Words again from the book by Jack Jones, Let Me Take You Down. Inside the mind of Mark David Chapman, the man who killed John Lennon. Fans of John Lennon were denied the satisfaction of a trial when Mark David Chapman surprisingly pled guilty to murder. He was sentenced to 20 years to life and is to this day in Attica State Prison in upstate New York. And that's where Jack Jones first met up with Mark David Chapman. It was at least eight years before uh, the book was published. I was going in with a group 
this was a um, religious-based counseling group that seemed to be practicing what the Bible, you know, preaches by going in and working with prisoners. It was after the riots where state troopers uh, slaughtered something like 60 uh, inmates and and prison guards and then tried to blame the guard deaths on the inmates, you might recall that whole scandal. Um, so the whole thing was sort of born of blood. I had worked inside the prison after that undercover uh, to do a series of stories for the Democrat and Chronicle here on mental health and the criminal justice system. Um, actually, Berkowitz was very soon assigned to the prison after that those articles appeared. These guys are all avid news junkies. He read my stories, wanted to meet with me. So that, you know, that's how I got the first interview with uh, Berkowitz. And um, working with the prison group, Cephas Attica later uh, opened the door to Chapman, who being a very religious sort, uh, had been in contact at some point in his life with a somewhat well-known minister who uh, who was also a friend or protege of one of the Watergate burglars, uh, Chuck Colson, who, who wound up doing prison time and then started this, what became a very famous prison ministry. Uh, so I met I met Chapman on a couple of occasions with the understanding that I would just be there to talk to him, to meet him, uh, but that I wouldn't be writing anything. And he assumed that I would be selling a story from those conversations to you know, either writing it for the local newspaper or freelancing to a magazine, which I could have done. Um, I didn't because I promised I wouldn't, and I always try to keep my word. Ten years, eight or ten years later, uh, on the 10th anniversary, everybody on the planet wanted wanted to talk to him. Uh, I mean, all of the major media people, the, uh, Dan Rather, I mean, he had per personal letters from all of these folks, Robert Walters, whom he finally did talk to for the publication of my book. But uh, he turned them all down, and one day out of the blue, I had a letter saying, would you please visit me? I would like to talk to you. Um, and he gave me, dur during that meeting, he gave me a two-paragraph statement expressing, I am remorseful that I, that I, that I killed this man. Um, and I said, Mark, yeah, this is this is all great. But if you're serious about trying to explore what happened and why, let's sit down and work on at least a long series of interviews that I can that I can do a meaningful story about. And ideally, this would be a book because this is a very complicated subject. And he said, well, let me pray about that. And he did. And then. A week or so later, I had another letter saying God had given approval that we should start doing interviews. And uh, at that time, it was fairly easy to access 
the prison system, you know, <clears throat> as a media person, First Amendment rights and all that. Um, and uh, I went in and began, you know, doing interviews, and in which I tape recorded most of them. Um, and that was the foundation for the book. Mark David Chapman has spent the last 40 years of his life in Attica State Prison. During that time, he has received much correspondence, both fan mail and hate mail. Several examples are included in Jack's book. He got fan mail uh, from people who said that they had contemplated doing the same sort of thing. Uh, one of the reasons I feel good, at, well, the main reason I feel good about uh, having written the book is that after it was published, both he and I received letters from people who said that they had thought about uh, murdering someone as he had done, but after reading the book, decided it really wasn't worthwhile uh, for, for whatever reason, had been swayed not to not to commit murder. Um, but, uh, he, you know, along with the fan letters, uh, which he still gets from some religious people, not because of what he did in killing John Lennon, but, but, but because of his effusive, you know, uh, religious uh, sort of preaching, this prison ministry that has grown up around him. Um, but there are others who still write him letters saying the day you get out of prison is the day you die, you son of a bitch. As a sidebar, Barbara Walters did eventually get a television interview with Mark David Chapman as he sat in prison. In fact, she was the first television journalist to do so. And she did ask the big question, why did you kill John Lennon? In 1992, 12 years after the murder, I sat down with Chapman at Attica Prison for his first television interview. His story of why he did it is as chilling today as it was then. Tonight, in the first of a new 2020 feature called Forward and Back, we take you on a journey back to December 1980 and inside the mind of a killer. Who got shot? John Lennon. So John Lennon. Man, he was a, a white man. He was big. And he was arguing with the, with the doorman. And then all of a sudden, he heard five, six shots, and that was it. The cops pulled John Lennon out and put him into the back of the police car. Uh, he was shot by an unknown at this time, white male, who was in custody at this time. Bring me back to December 8th, 1980. It was a very long day. So I'm sitting there. It's dark. And this limo pulls up. And John got out, and he came up the pathway, and he looked at me. I heard this voice, not an audible voice, but an inaudible voice saying over and over, do it, do it, do it, do it. I guess that was me inside. And I pulled the 38 revolver out of my pocket, I went into what's called a combat stance and I fired at his back five steady 
Why did you kill John Lennon? I thought by killing him, I would acquire his fame. After spending hours and hours over the years sitting across a conference table for Mark David Chapman, being able to look him in the eye, was he insane or just evil? It's evil. It's absolutely pure, undiluted evil. And uh, in fact, about a month ago, I had another conversation with, with Mark where we, had, we uh, talked about that specifically and that i unlike a lot of these psychiatric so-called experts and 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 others who have tried to dismiss the whole thing and label him as schizophrenic um and he has finally come to agree that yes it was nothing more than an act of pure evil pure hatred uh on a level that that most of us really can't appreciate. In researching this podcast, I took the opportunity to travel to New York City and stand outside the Dakota apartments. It was a sunny but cold, February afternoon. The sun was just setting. I watched for a few moments as people walked back and forth on their business, some stopping to take pictures, take selfies in front of the Dakota. I watched for a few moments the doormen standing around, smoking, chatting, and I realized, I I tried to realize what it must have been like that awful night. And it did affect me. And if anyone has the opportunity, I do recommend that you take a few moments, if you're ever in New York City, to stop by that horrible place where John Lennon was murdered by Mark David Chapman. <laughs> 